0: Hello, hello, and welcome to High Time for Change podcast. This is Wednesday, April the 5th, 2023. And indeed, I've made it another week, woke up every day, and I'm back here with you. Um, first off, I want to excitedly welcome my new UK audience members. I could not have been happier to see my stats recently and see that I have, uh, you know, reached my motherland of choice, um, the United Kingdom. Um I am like a lifelong Anglophile. I have and love and read and consume everything British. And I honestly feel I would fit in there seamlessly. So if any of my UK listeners would like to be sort of a host family, and I can be like a foreign exchange podcaster, and just podcast from the UK for literally no specific reason, just let me know. I'm very open to any offers. Um, well, since we last spoke, I've had another packed week of significant experiences and growth, and basically like sense making. Um, I've been very involved with my ex-husband and kids, and I was even so grateful to be included on a spring break day trip, which just indicates like the growing level of trust and respect that my ex-husband and I now have, after we've done a lot of work done on it. Um, our kids, however, are each kind of individually having some little issues right now, and they do not get along well. So this makes all our time together more difficult. But I can at least enjoy things with my ex husband, sometimes things that we wanted to do our entire marriage and haven't done together until now. I mean, we just aren't going to get totally dragged on by their behavior. But I admit it's been tough to deal with it's really helped me get a lot of insight into my role in whatever's going on with them. And it helps me take a whole different tack with everything that I do now, which I've really been doing since I came home, but just progressively more and more. I mean, it's also really painful because I'll never, ever, ever know if they'd be going through the exact same things if I hadn't gone through what I did. But it's more important to stay in the now and, you know, fix whatever issues actually exist now rather than wonder what could have been. I'm just gonna issue my standard disclaimer. I am not yet a licensed medical professional. I am a student and I'm speaking from my heart, my experience, my education, my rehabilitation, the research that I've done and the experiences of those close to me. Any information presented on my podcast or any of the associated media platforms will be researched and verified. If you vibe with my advice, and if I raise your awareness, that is wonderful. But it is not, however, a substitute for a professional help from a medical or psychiatric provider. If you need urgent professional help, please seek it. Okay, so moving on, the title of my show today is The Scientist, which is an absolutely beautiful song by Coldplay off of their 2002 album entitled A Rush of Blood to the Head. Uh, This song has affected me deeply ever since like the first note I heard of it. And actually their song Trouble is another favorite of mine, and it could very well have suited this episode too. But I chose this song because of their rewinding theme and the more passive aerial view that's given here. I'm going to share some lyrics with you. Um, Come up to meet you and tell you I'm sorry. You don't know how lovely you are. I had to find you and tell you I need you. And tell you I set you apart. Tell me your secrets and ask me your questions. Oh, let's go back to the start. Running in circles, coming up tails, heads on a science apart. Nobody said it was easy. It's such a shame for us to part. Nobody said it was easy, but no one ever said it would be this hard. Oh, take me back to the start. Okay, I made it without crying fully but I'm, I just don't think I'm ever going to make it through lyrics. So really don't expect me to, I need you to adjust your expectations considering my capabilities. Um, to me, this is a really plaintive, heartfelt, gentle plea for a chance to start over, which I'm sure we've all done or at least thought, you know, he kind of explains his past mistakes in a very basic way without seeming to totally understand his role in it. It fits the tone for kind of the brief aerial view I plan on giving on this subject. Um, going through, further into the act of rewinding the tape and owning your actions, the deepest parts will be covered in a later broadcast. Um, You know, I constantly keep experiencing synchronicity, wherein random but very meaningful things keep crossing my path at the exact right time. Right before I sat down to finalize my outline for today's show, I was looking in my Facebook memories, which are overall a great feature, but for someone like myself, It's either amusing, very sad, hilarious, or absolutely mortifying. I came across a post that I posted about three years ago that I just remembered being absolutely amazing. And it's a Facebook reel. It's a compilation of deaf babies and young children getting hearing aids and hearing their parents' voices for the first time and seeing their incredibly precious moving reactions. It's an incredibly moving video and you just can't help but giggle and cry and just be uplifted in the end. I found what the babies were experiencing to be very evocative and very similar to what we as addicts experience in gaining our real eyes, our moral compass, and a healthy conscience. You know, suddenly being able to hear communication accurately, especially from the ones that you love the most, is an overwhelming, confusing, but ultimately joyous event. Um, I will post this reel on my Facebook group for High Time for Change so that everybody can watch it if they like. Um, as I said, I'm going to keep this episode rather brief, and I'm not taking it too deep for reasons I explained above. Uh, first of all, I want to make this episode inclusive to people who are in all stages of recovery. And secondly, the deeper portions just require a lot more exploration and for the listener to be fairly well into recovery. Uh, and that'll come a little bit down the line in the series. There are five steps to change in addiction, uh, pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, and maintenance. Rewinding the tape pretty much starts in the contemplation, preparation, and action phases, and it can and should continue into the maintenance phase. You know, when I was away in rehab, I was in a lockdown community-based correctional facility, or CBCF, and they used uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, for the correction of addictive and criminal thinking, etc., There was a ton of coursework. It was really honestly like a couple of college courses uh, in curriculum, a lot of paper and a lot of exercises that were tailored for you in your case plan. You had to take time and be very expositive with your work and open up and demonstrate participation. And you'd get smacked down pretty quickly and held back if you did not do this. So it was necessary to graduate on time and get through the program successfully to do these things. Um... There are a bunch of different categories of your coursework that you are individually signed due to your assessment. And mine mostly had to do with honesty, codependence, uh, an inaccurate view of myself, and setting boundaries with others. I had assignments about recovering your honesty, uh, like writing a long autobiography of my whole life and sharing it with all my peers – and like a huge packet called what price would you pay, which basically has just a whole bunch of horrible acts you may have committed in your addiction, and you pick the ones that you did, and then you write the approximate number of times that you did each act. You know, when I first glanced through this, I was like, oh, cool, cool. I was like, I really didn't go that far in that many areas. I'm going to be cool. It's not going to be too horrible for me, but you know, I my bottom number when I filled it out and used scrupulous honesty, it was worse than I thought, and that made a big impact on me in my treatment. Sitting down and just having to face every single thing that was spelled out, and you know, everything that I did wasn't even spelled out, but it was a lot of things. Um, going through these really intense exercises where I was required to handwrite enormous assignments, read them aloud in front of my peers and clinicians, and listen to other people's work really brought me to a certain point. You know, when you're very new in recovery, your brain is like a newborn or toddler development level um, with learning to live a right life again. So realizations occur quite regularly on your journey if you press forward on it. And the realizations will progressively compound and become more profound as your developing brain becomes mentally and emotionally able to process it. Um. For all the great deal of process that I felt like I made in five and a half months in rehab or in, in incarcerated, I still was really woefully unprepared for being back on the outs, just like I was told I would be. But I thought I was kind of on another, another level, as usual. Uh, one of my biggest downfalls in my entire life is thinking that I am on a different level than others and that my way is really the true best. I can do it alone and they just don't get me. Uh, While in treatment, for all the things that I thought I knew very, very well already, I learned a great deal more about Mike, Mike's addiction, my own addiction, what happened in our relationship really, and as well as these same issues with my dad and my ex-husband. I've been able to be extremely honest with myself and my clinicians, my peers, and my family via phone calls and the members of my small groups when I was there. But I later realized everything that I thought I had learned in there was in a way that I now see. It was somewhat passive, and they were, you know, surface realizations that were just the initial byproducts of the simple shock of the sudden removal from my circumstances and environment, and by my inability to escape or self-medicate. I had come away from it, and a ways in progress, but not nearly as far as I thought I had. I mean... On my court date, which I was to be sentenced after losing my ILC, uh, my court date was like at 830. And I firmly expected to be home at 1030am back with Mike and doing a shot immediately. Okay, like I had been assured by my uh, PO that... He could not possibly see me getting anything but converted to regular probation for like two years, and I was pretty chuffed that was going to be the outcome. I felt confident leaving. And, of course, in court that day, I was arrested. My ILC was revoked for a number of technicalities, which ended up being saving me at the very right time. I was incarcerated and then shipped to rehab. You know, going beyond that initial stage of um, realization and acceptance of responsibility and the ability to consider and care about future consequences of recidivism or relapse is a really arduous, consistent process that can reach like a valley of absolute regret, shame, and despair before it ascends again. It's very difficult, and that's why we all need support. And to be in as stable of an environment and situation as we can, as we, you know, the depths of what we've done and it's just massively profound and crushing at some points you know by my release date I had been incarcerated a little over five months like five months one week and I was four months and one day past Mike's death Uh, most of me felt encouraged and committed and excited to rebuild with my loved ones You know, my intention when I got out was to go ghost and let people think either I died or just moved out the way. I wanted to be forgotten. That was my plan and my desire. I really understood how my endless attachment to the street and the people and what they would do without me had influenced all the terrible choices and things I've been through in the past few years. I've been pulled back out on the street after vowing to go home forever like five or six times in the course of four years by my concern for the people and wanting to know if they were okay and what was going on out there. It was also just the simple fact of boredom is one of the biggest threats in recovering from addiction. You know, sitting there with yourself, not necessarily having anything to do, but be with your thoughts is incredibly daunting and nearly impossible for some people. Um, There was also a, a slightly lesser, but definitely existent part of me who was very interested in coming home and going like completely all law and order on the whole tri-state area to uncover what really happened to Mikey, which I actually did end up doing rather quickly before I realized the path I was going on and extricate myself. And I started doing my best to lay and enforce my new boundaries. When I actually got out, uh, though, it was literally a truly a whole new world as I was told it would be. I had reasoned with myself before getting out that I would be cool and not so at risk because I was moving away from the area and not consorting personally with any people that I used to use or do business with before. I intended to cut off absolutely everyone, but I did end up speaking to a number of friends of mine and Mike's and just getting their reactions to losing Mikey and sharing mine. Which in itself is a specific situation I had identified in my own success plan before getting out of rehab as a majorly triggering situation for me. A success plan is like 30 or 40 different specific incidents that you write out completely on a whole, you know, graph series of events um, that are. majorly dangerous triggers for you and as well as how you're going to cope and avoid them like what specific things you're going to do to keep yourself from relapsing. I had all of these 30 things in my mind firmly from working for it for so long and from reading it aloud to my final group before graduating and all that. Uh, Really the total opposite ended up being true. Uh, I was immediately smacked hard in the face with the reality of you know, Mike, literally not being on the earth anymore, for real. I'm out here, I could see him if he was here, and he's most definitely not here. Um, I was about to see and hold his literal remains in my arms, uh, see pictures of his funeral. And, you know, I was also coming home to like 75 messenger messages that I was terrified to read. And indeed, I did not open or read many of them for the longest time. I was super terrified of seeing messages that would say things like, Mike never even loved me, he was cheating on me the whole time, he actually committed suicide because of me, or he was murdered. You know, I really had no reason at all to believe any of those horrible things, and I really did know otherwise, but it still consumed me. Um, I also had had a strange and completely ridiculous belief or hope that maybe Mike wasn't really dead and for some reason he just didn't want to be with me and had people, you know, call me at my facility and tell me he was gone. But that's ridiculous. Uh, he would never do that to me. My, my mother-in-law wouldn't do that to me. Uh, just a bunch of people wouldn't do that. It was just an irrational thought that I had. Um, about three days out, I finally went to visit my mother-in-law, and that's when I, like, really fell into the matrix, Uh, even though we spoke almost every day while I was away. And, you know, she counted the days till I was home and I did as well. And we were thrilled to see each other. Um, After a short period in the beginning, it seemed to be very triggering for both of us. We basically each took to the bed or couch for a straight week. I mean, we definitely hung out, or like more accurately, we coexisted comfortably, each in our own world. I was overwhelmed by being near Mike's memorial table that contained his urn and all his special little things of his and, you know, big pictures of him. Uh, His table is actually pictured on the cover art of this episode, obviously. Um, Seeing my mother-in-law's grief in person and seeing all his little special things, his sunglasses, you know, his little tiny ivory pocket knives that belonged to me that he took and used for little you know, drug tools that he had a billion of. um, It was just really, really triggering to me. Uh, It was overwhelming. And she too was triggered by seeing me again and me in my grief, uh, seeing as I was her son's woman, just physically seeing me again and how much I was suffering took her back. She literally had four months to get over this more than I did. I was still, it was like the first day for me. Um, at that point, we kind of had to separate physically for a little while for both of our wellness. And then when we were united, we were in a bit of a healthier place, and we've continued to work forward from that. I mean, honestly, my mother-in-law and I have a much different relationship now that Mike's gone uh, than we did when he was alive. Uh, I think we appreciate her uh, each other a million times more, and I know that that's the one person on the earth that can like probably literally feel everything that I'm feeling about him. And my desire to cling to that and be with that one person at the beginning was so strong that it, you know, took me off course mentally. I did stay my course at the time with like probation, treatment, doctor appointments, but my mind was back there, like firmly back there, like I thought it never would be again. You know, looking back on it, I realized that I escaped that zone much faster than it seemed like at the time or that I ever realized you know, I ended up uh, meeting my wonderful now boyfriend, Ray, about five weeks home, and I really switched gears at that point. I was really happy, I was very hopeful, and I had something I very much didn't want to lose. I was really grateful and encouraged because I was scrupulously honest with him about me right away because he is a father and he has every right to know what he's getting into. I wanted him to make an informed choice. And he still really loved and accepted me and supported me and just enjoyed my company, just improved my self-esteem massively. Um, Describing that to you right now, audience, I am sure it sounds like me putting my power focus outside myself, but it really wasn't. You know, really what he was doing and what I was experiencing is letting me see who I truly was and still was and would always be by his treatment of me which is a type of treatment I had not had since my ex-husband. I mean, Ray is a total gentleman. He opens every door for me from the first time I ever got in the car to the current day. Later when he picks me up, he'll do the same thing. He always makes me feel valuable. He's gentle with me. He's just wonderful. He's incredibly therapeutic. Um, Because of this, I started working much harder on my recovery. You know, saved for about a month in hell because I was prescribed a contraindicated medication for my chronic pain, which was Cymbalta, and it had disastrous effects on me. But I realized it quickly and discontinued the med and came back up after that. Um, I met Ray at the very end of July, and by mid-August, I had all of my court fines paid off and all of my specialty doctor's appointments and medical treatment and procedures completed. Um, by about September, I would say in November, I got my driver's license back. Uh, in December, I hit a year sober and celebrated Christmas as my new self with my loved ones and ended up reconnecting with some extended family. I'd not seen in years, which I really loved. And I also wasn't ashamed to be among them again. And I shouldn't have been because they were completely supportive. They've always loved me and known who I was and valued me regardless. Um, Let's see, the beginning of January or like the end of December, I had finally, finally been allowed to be prescribed my ADHD medication that actually works and helps me. I, of course, had to go through a long dog and pony show trying things that did not work over and over before I could finally be prescribed a technical amphetamine that I direly needed. But I kept my nose to the grindstone on that and I went through all the steps and And finally, my nurse practitioner rewarded me with what I actually needed, which changed my focus, my energy, my determination so greatly. You know, so much so that in January, I was terminated from my probation a year and a half early. I got into college and obtained financial aid to cover it completely. I conceptualized and raised money for my podcast. And then in February, I actually followed through and released it. You know, since the start of the year, I have experienced way better relationships with my family, way more personal strength and recovery, way more success in seeing the consequences of my actions and having clarity. I feel much more peaceful. And I now feel a greater need to make my very small circle even smaller. You know, I continued and continue to talk to a few old friends who were purporting themselves to be in recovery. And, you know, I did this because I really cared about them. And they were, you know, quote, safe people to communicate with, we can support ourselves in our recovery. But um, I started to think that a few of them were clearly engaging in other addictive behaviors that were detrimental, like if not their drug of choice, something, and they started needing help and Advice from me on very complicated problems that I really just no longer have the wherewithal to deal with all that drama. So I really need to kind of pare that down. Um, I'll tell a little short story about something that happened last week that would have hit me way different if I wasn't at the point I was at. Um, I expected this to happen or something like it to happen. Uh, I'm generally a very well-liked person and I've never done dirt to anybody, but there are a few people who just can't get me out of their head in a hater type of way. Um, I received a voicemail on my business line and it, my voicemail transcribes the message. So I saw the written message first and it said, This is Officer Johnson of the Milford Police. We have your location, and we're on the way to get you. Ripping people off on Social Security is the lowest thing you could ever do, and we have 85 state witnesses ready to go to court against you. I hope you enjoy your prison stay because it's going to be a long one. Uh, Then when I listened to the audio, literally the voice was like someone's old country papaw. There were tons of pauses and ums and... It it was not, I think everybody knows that the cops do not call you and tell you that you're en route. Also, I was just terminated from felony probation recently, so these have to be totally new charges and they've already got 85 states' witnesses, not to mention that I don't steal from anybody. I basically, hopefully, am a person on Social Security by the end of the next few months. So none of this ever was remotely true. But I I know exactly who did that. If it wasn't him, it was another him. And I don't even care. But if this was in the past, this would have really knocked me down. It would have just been like, I don't know why I'm doing this. I I don't have anything to say, blah, blah, blah. I don't care who thinks that. I believe in myself and I believe that I'm doing something valuable. But I'm just grateful that I've gotten to that point and this didn't knock me down. Uh, Just to um, wrap it up here. The only reason I've made this kind of progress is by being disciplined in rewinding the tape and accepting my role in it and absorbing the losses, then not replicating my past pitfalls. Uh, I'm now firmly in the maintenance phase, and I'm most often engaging in the end game of, quote, playing the tape through. It's an exercise which means when I have urges to use anything addictively or engage in self-destructive behavior, I use all that I've learned to get out of that moment and think through the known and certain outcomes of whatever I have the urge to do. I'm not going and striving for a series of random moments of clarity. I want a new future of constant and increasing clarity all the time. You know, the process of playing the tape through is also a habit that requires dedication. And as they say, you know, the program works if you work it. Um, Here I'm going to share a piece of writing or, you know, a post basically that I came across this morning in one of my NA recovery groups. You know, here I must state that I do not participate in any kind of 12-step program, NA, AA, whatever, in my recovery, but I do still belong to a bunch of recovery groups because I like the material and I like hearing from other addicts. Uh, This was written by an author named Corey Newmay, N-E-W-M-E-H, and it's being shared with the author's permission. I do not know Corey at all. I don't even know if they're male or female, but I just really love this post and I want to share it with you. Uh, Corey writes, Day 17 clean. Sometimes it feels like the addiction entity that lives inside us almost creates a scenario that would or could justify or be an excuse for using and relapsing. It really does. It makes me think irrational, almost depressive thoughts to get me to think, what's the point? Everyone has already lost all hope for you. You may as well be high and happy than silently fighting an awful battle to stay clean, a rewardless battle to boot. You know, one where some people actually roll their eyes with a slow clap when you tell them that you've been a week clean. In fact, they look down, belittle, and smirk with disbelief that you could even have had that problem to start with. I get this one a lot. So here's a fist bump of love to all you that are really struggling right now. I love you all. You're worth it. People want you to be here. They want you to be alive and happiness will come. The problem is the addiction demon has a terrible ability to shine the light and focus negative energy and use it to make you lose focus. Fight with that, people. I love you and you have to. Much love to all. Thank you, Corey. I love your post and I loved it so much that I wanted to share it with my whole audience and I'm grateful that you gave me permission. Thanks, Corey. Please stay tuned for our next episode. And to be honest with you, the subject is kind of TBD. I've got like 80 episodes planned. I just have to put them in order. Um, I've kind of covered my introduction to the crux of the concepts that we're going to delve into. And every other show is pretty much going to be like a niche subject. But I just don't know what I'm starting with first. But definitely tune in anyway, because whatever I produce will have my whole heart in it. Uh, Also, please join my Facebook group for the High Time for Change podcast. podcast and media project where I blog about the podcast share updates and other like items of interest Um, thank you so much for listening it's my honor to have you join me today Uh, be well be healthy love your people and love yourself today and to my new UK listeners I love you so much cheerio I'm off